episode 419 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Seth. Michael O'Malley. And we're joined by special guests on the YouTube stream, Bunyan the Blue. So, welcome to the podcast, Bunyan. Oh, hi there. Thank you. Thank you, Bunyan. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Man, uh, they're really missing out on the not YouTube version of this. I gotta say, really <laughs> ambiguous, just like our, our film we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. What are they even uh, talking about? What are they even saying? What does it mean? All right, on this episode of the of Cinematary, we're gonna be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one. And in part two, we're going to be putting a nice bow on this year's Young Critics Watch All Movies series with 1985's Angel's Egg. So, into the into the series, and we'll uh, we'll announce. Stick you got to stick around though to the very end, and we'll announce the uh, the upcoming series. So uh, that's just a, a point to. I guess you could skip till the end, but no, like listen to the listen to the podcast till the very end. All right, well let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and jump in the movies that we saw this week, and uh, Michael, I'm gonna kick it off with you. You saw it's a, a relative new release, but one we don't, I don't think we talked about on the podcast. Yeah, this is a movie um, that I think before it was released, people were fairly excited about, and then people saw the movie and the hype just deflated instantly. Um, and that is the movie Men, um, which came out earlier this year, directed by Alex Garland, who did like the screenplay for 28 Days Later, and he directed Ex Machina and Annihilation, and people generally seem to like Alex Garland, uh, but people generally do not seem to like this movie. And I spent the spring kind of pondering, like, is it really as bad as people say? Because you look on, like, Letterboxd or whatever, and people are like, one star or half a star. You know, this is such trash. And um, for my positive note, I will say that it's, I don't think it's quite that bad. Um, for my less positive note, it's not that good either. Um, so this is a movie uh, in which uh, the main character, whose name is her name is Harper, um, played by Jessie Buckley, and she's pretty good. Um, she's going out to the English countryside because she's recently experienced this traumatic tragedy involving her husband, um, where her husband has committed suicide, um, and so uh, she's like taking a vacation to recover from that, uh, get away from things. And so she's gone to the English countryside, and she stays in this nice old English manor um, that's owned by uh, this guy um, whose name I don't remember. And the reason I don't remember is that he's played by Rory Kinnear, who plays literally all the other roles in this movie, except for, like, a few small roles. So I don't remember what this role is that he plays. But anyway, what ends up happening is that... Um, I mean, if you've seen something like Rosemary's Baby or more like Repulsion actually is maybe like the kind of like closer uh, parallel, but we've seen this sort of movie before. A person goes to an isolated uh, place, has some sort of traumatic backstory, and slowly the trauma like kind of unravels her version of reality. Um, and in this movie, she keeps seeing men who are all the same man, uh, sometimes in different outfits, sometimes digitally de-aged so that they're children. Um, but these men are all being kind of like chauvinist and gross to her in one way or another, like all these like microaggressions and eventually like just pure aggression toward her. And at the same time, like her reality is kind of collapsing. Um, and it's just kind of tired, like to be honest. Um, 
it's the sort of movie where like first five minutes you watch it and because there's been especially recently so many of these kind of like psychological horror thrillers with kind of like a maybe like social commentary edge but they're all inspired by roman polanski movies um and they're usually released by 24 like i'm not usually against those type of movies but this one is not a very fresh take on that and so it just ends up being kind of tedious um which is a shame because there are some really nice elements of it um the uh cinematography is really neat um it looks really cool um the sound design is really great like you have all these like corals for the um like choral arrangements for the the score and then that's like matched with these like really wonderful um like there's like this echo motif because early in the um film she is in this tunnel and she finds out that she can echo and the echo is delayed enough that she can then like harmonize with the echo and so the movie then starts like playing that a lot and that's really cool um and just the sound design in general of the spaces is really neat um and so like there's like nice elements to it and you could imagine like if this were like just forced itself to go more abstract and like have less of the like really obvious like wow man sure are problematic aren't they um it would have been really cool. Like, if it had just been, like, full, like, psychedelic, uh, avant-garde sort of, like, horror, I think that there could have been something really neat out of it. But, um, I don't know. In the end, it just didn't have that much to offer, which is a shame, because I think Alex Garland is not, like, a perfect filmmaker, but he his films are usually memorable in some way. And the only reason that this is memorable is that it kind of sticks out as something that doesn't feel very interesting and in fact like the climax of the film which i guess i won't spoil just because it is kind of like a fun like wtf moment but uh the climax of it is weirdly like copying annihilation at times as well it's like uh this woman's encounter with like this otherworldly being and it's like wordless and there's all this weird body stuff going on like it feels just like a retread of uh the ending of annihilation which i thought was super cool um so i don't know alex garland running out of ideas maybe or hopefully not um but this movie is definitely not an example of him doing fresh ideas um i don't know i it's the sort of movie that probably will just be forgotten i don't think it like is that notable and aside from like the hyperbolically negative stuff people had to say about it at the like when it first released i don't feel like it's had much staying power in people's minds whatsoever like it just seems to have hit and gone yeah that's i mean i think ex machina deaf people remember i haven't watched it in so long i'd be curious to revisit it um yeah me too i haven't seen the theater actually yeah because I, I think i saw it in the theater also i remember liking it but that's been a while um annihilation has a lot of interesting ideas but i don't feel like at all it's kind of all over the place to a degree but it visually is something that's that's you know interesting to to behold so i I don't know i'm kind of i'm not like firmly in the alex garland camp i know he did a series for fx also that was you know kind of in this mold um but i don't the to me and maybe i'm wrong to me the the trailers and kind of how they marketed this seemed very like in the same vein as like promising young woman where it was like you know men equals evil and we're going to kind of play up that trope of like that's definitely uh, something along those for sure okay like that's not a misleading trailer it seemed wild like uh just midsummer light or something when i saw the trailer it's just like folk horror and it being just a 
interrogation of men and women relationship dynamics or something like that uh yeah i think it seems like wild maybe it was his idea of like raising some money real quick because <laughs> it does seem like a surefire like shot as far as that's concerned that's what like audiences are really into right now especially if it has a 24 slapped on it yeah so maybe that's what he was doing but it totally backfired because he's just like five years late or something he really is and i mean like midsummer is a good comparison point because like in terms of the like social themes and all that like midsummer is a lot more like interesting and complicated while having like the same basic topic and its story is just so much more engaging even though like i think midsummer has like structural issues too like it's not a perfect movie but like there's so many weird interesting angles that that story goes uh you know like with the you know like this like kind of reclusive society and their weird rituals and stuff like that whereas this movie is i don't know it just it doesn't have anything interesting to offer at all besides like the kind of cool aesthetic flourishes that it occasionally has like there's like everything else feels autopilot i don't know um i'm not like firmly alex garland camp in the sense of like i'm a partisan of him like i'm not gonna like sit here and try to reclaim this or anything like that but i do like have i have enjoyed everything that he's done that i've seen and this is the first thing that just feels like i don't even know you know why this movie was made really like i can see maybe the setting seemed kind of cool this like english countryside folk horror and there's like a, a few gestures toward like religious imagery and sometimes it's like christian imagery and sometimes it's a uh, pagan imagery and there's maybe like an interesting thing that was maybe maybe in a subsequent draft of the movie could have been teased out more but um yeah i don't know don't recommend i don't strongly have feelings about it which is maybe the the worst pan of all you know like the worst movies are just the boring i think ones. it should have been a it should have been a prestige and the illusionist kind of thing where they came out the exact same month and he could have done that with Midsommar. Yeah. Uh, but like maybe the, the money just didn't come together and it only came out just now. That's too bad. It was a missed opportunity. That would have been a better strategy. Or like when all those Snow White movies came out in the same year. That's true. It could have been a Snow <laughs> yes. White. Strange. Or was it Snow White, The Huntsman, and I forgot the other one. Mirror, mirror. Yeah, so it could have been that. Since... I only remember that because I was working in a theater at the time. Um, all right, well, men, is it, it's so it's it's uh, on demand now. It should be. Uh, I got the DVD from Netflix, but not in demand. Yeah, it's on demand, but it is demand. not in demand. Not in demand. <laughs> um, all right, well, you got one more you were to talk about. Yeah, so this is like a complete change of pace. Um, so in the early '90s. There's a series of films uh, that are all kind of like blank, blanketed under this uh, title, The Mind's Eye. Um, and the first one I watched um, a few days ago, and it's called The Mind's Eye, colon, A Computer Animation Odyssey. And Oh, man, I've always wanted to see these. Oh, yeah, I watched that on YouTube. They're probably all on YouTube. Um, but what it is is um, it's like basically a compilation of decontextualized early CGI um, assets. And so, like, things that would be in, like, commercials, or I don't think they use this, but, like, you know, that part in the, like, Money for Nothing music video. Like, it's, like, stuff that looks like that. Um, and it's all stitched together so it looks like it's making this arc in which you're, like, in space, 
and then like you're like kind of tracking like the evolution of life on the planet and stuff but it's all like kind of like abstract because one it's early cgi and two these are like found objects as opposed to like new assets um and then there's like um they composed original music over it and this music is like it's not vaporwave it's like what vaporwave is referring to you know um because obviously like this is the early 90s but it's like that sort of like major synthy like ambient textures like new agey sort of thing and um it was just a good time like i just turned it on and it was it was comforting and nice um and there's just something about that like early cgi like like pre like even if you look at like pixar stuff from this time like it's all it all just looks like tech demos like even stuff that was commercially released and uh there's just something about it like transcends the uncanny valley um because there's like no textures on anything or very very small textures um and so everything just looks abstract and it becomes like almost like this like uh i don't know like kind of looks like modern art like collage sort of thing right it's just a bunch of shapes and these shapes are supposed to be like seaweed in the ocean um and then like cgi if you go a few years later it gets to this point where it's too close to what it's supposed to be and it just kind of looks ugly and crappy you know like um like ants or something like that um and this like hits that sweet spot of like really early rudimentary stuff but so rudimentary that it just feels um like ambient and strange and otherworldly which really suits this movie um and like honestly it feels a lot like Kranoskatsi in the sense of you're watching this montage of images and these images are kind of meant to be like awe-inspiring or otherworldly images with this music that's buttressing it but because instead of Philip Glass you have this like highly digital and highly like dated sound and because it is instead of beautiful landscape or or uh, modern urban you know footage you have these like almost like primordial uh, computer images it just I don't know it's it's just a really singular vibe and like as someone who was around and can remember I wasn't paying attention in 1990 because I was a infant but um a few years later like I can remember that sort of stuff and like just being captivated by like that windows screensaver in which the thing is bouncing around and like just morphing shapes and sometimes it's a cube and sometimes it's a sphere and sometimes it's a little clover looking thing like I remember just like spending lots and lots of time watching these like really um basic computer shapes and there's something that's always just kind of mysterious about them because they're not capable of rendering you know the full artistic intent of like what they are super uncanny yeah it's just like uncanny and and interesting um so i don't know like this was like 40 minutes like it's not like you know some you know huge opus um but it was a good 40 minutes like i enjoyed it i had just gotten back from work and i was tired and i was like i can't watch uh any of these movies i have from the library they're gonna take too much attention for me to watch and so i just put on some headphones and watched this on my laptop on youtube opened your mind's eye yeah it did mm-hmm. um it did it would be like good um it would be good like sleep material too like if you like had it playing kind of low and like projecting on the wall and you could just kind of 
drift off to like that kind of like half sleep state where you're kind of like halfway dreaming and halfway not it would be good for that too so the mind's eye 1990 courtesy of youtube.com nice um and if you like this there's like four or five other ones um there's beyond the mind's eye the gate to the mind's eye odyssey into the mind's eye um what (laughs) odyssey of the mind's eye apparently includes parts of johnny mnemonic (laughs) like cgi from that movie of course it does (laughs) so there's lots where this came from and i'm probably gonna check out a few more of them because it was pretty fun nice um all right seth we're gonna toss it over to you and you're going to tell us which giant famous ape is still alive. Um, yeah, it's, his name is King Kong. And a lot of people don't know this, but he did not die when he fell off the... Imp- well, boy, this, this one requires a lot of backstory. Um, we watched King Kong on the podcast already, so like they've got that. No, but this is the alternate universe King Kong that came out in the 1970s. Uh-huh with Jeff Bridges being the Jack Black of the whole thing. Um, and But he, he didn't go up on the Empire State Building. He went up on top of the World Trade Center because that's more hip and happening, you know. It's a little controversial, okay. Yeah. Coincidence, <laughs> I think not. <laughs> I think not. If you look close, you can see the beginning of the end. But he falls off the World Trade Center... And, you know, they have the, but everything else is the same where they're like, "'Twas beauty that killed the beast. It was. And, but then, because he was in development hell for the sequel, that also is like, what well, he's dead, I thought. But uh, he is in a coma, they said, for 10 years. And he, we open in 1986, King Kong Lives is the title of the sequel that is very much forgotten, one of the most forgotten monster movies ever, basically. Uh, like, I had dreams about this, like, half-remembered half ideas of, like, what it was like watching my, like, VHS copy as a kid that I rented from, like, a drugstore or something, because it was just, like, I saw it once and, like, never again. Like, can't even find it at the library anywhere, like, nowhere. Um, and it finally got uploaded to YouTube the other day, and I was like very excited to watch it because I had always been thinking about this opening sequence, which is really bizarre. And it is just King Kong on a slab in a gigantic hospital that is a warehouse, and he's like hooked up to a huge, comically huge respirator, and and all these little uh, all these little doctors are rushing around. And they got huge scalpels and huge surgical tools and stuff. And it, uh, I heard somebody in a review say that it like almost feels like a Monty Python sketch because they literally do have these like humongous like knives that they're like, how are you gonna even like I'm use looking, that on him? I'm, but they're like, I'm looking at like I'm looking at him on on Google right now. It's like, that's amazing. It's so wild. <laughs> and the whole thing is, yeah, he's been in a coma for ten years, and the problem isn't that he like broke his back by falling off the World Trade Center. It's that Twas Beauty killed the beast, it seems. So his heart is the problem. <laughs> he, he he needs a heart transplant. So they have to, like, 
they actually show you Linda Hamilton of uh, Terminator fame is in this and she's just wonderful and beautiful in a real stupid movie but uh she, she's Wait, so helping when did, them. When did this come out? 86. So this is post Terminator. Oh, it is. I guess it is. Wow. Man. She used her star clout for good. I know. <laughs> for the good of the ape man. But uh, they actually have this really gruesome scene where they pull out his heart and we see his huge heart with this like crane prize grabber machine. And uh, then they just like dispose of the heart. Who knows what they do with it. But then they put this mechanical heart in him. And he has the mechanical heart now. And they like sew him back up. And it looks real gross and stuff. And this Kong is just a man in a monkey suit. It is not CGI or anything. Where it goes from there is basically. For some reason because he has a monkey heart. It seems like he's no longer into little human ladies. He's into his own kind now so maybe it's like somehow fixed him of his wait so does that imply that he had had a human heart prior to this no i mean i he had a regular modern science is crazy i don't know there's something wrong with him i don't know he he was a he was a strange king kong ape person who uh was really into humans and then they gave him a robot heart and now he's into his own kind so he goes out and he finds a lady that looks like him on in out out i forget where they even find her but it's like this whole silly thing and the main character is like an indiana jones a fake indiana jones person who's in it for like 20 minutes it feels like has sex with linda or uh linda hamilton and then i don't know the rest is just uh king kong trying to get his wife back and he's uh trying to save his She's also pregnant. The stakes are just getting higher and higher. And they're in the South, which is weird, I, th- I think, for budgetary reasons because they couldn't, like, blow up a bunch of buildings like they wanted to. So they were just, like, in the woods in the South. And there's all these, like, jokes of, with, like, rednecks running around. Uh, the real highlight is the procedural hospital drama involving King Kong at the beginning. And I wish it was the whole movie. Like strangely morbid. Just like King Kong and ER. Yes. Kind of feels like that. <laughs> I wish it was the whole movie. That sounds fun. Uh yeah, I mean it's minus the like other half of the movie, which is yeah, a real slog. But uh yeah, that 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 was a wild one. It was good to uh touch my roots there. Where's King Kong Lives available? YouTube. That's the only way I saw it. That's the hero of this podcast. It really is. YouTube sponsoring this podcast mm-hmm. we're streaming on youtube where you want to watch angels on youtube there it is youtube there you go um and then my my second choice uh is a pretty wild fucking movie called r100 and it came out in 2013 it's a i believe it's a japanese movie i might be wrong but uh I had seen another movie by this guy called Big Man Japan, which is like a surrealist like riff on like Johnny Sacco kind of or like Ultraman. It's really, I don't know, it's really strange, but it is like kind of falls into the genre of giant monster movie movies. This one, however, I don't know. I almost hesitate to like tell people about it because I went in totally blind at movie night and someone brought it. And I just had no idea where I was going to go. Because 
where it begins at least is this guy signs over his life in a like crazy magical contract with this secret society of dominatrix people uh that he wherever he is now the rest of his life a big sexy tall leather clad lady could just jump out at any point and beat the shit out of him and that's what he wants i think we all deal with that to an extent yeah you know but we don't all like actually put the pen to paper and this guy does um and it just gets crazier and crazier from there because like the dominatrix people have to keep upping the ante it seems or something for him to like truly be entertained by it or at least like they're like well you know like we can't just keep jumping out of bushes we gotta like kidnap your family now and like really put the the device on you and all kinds of stuff like that and it's like becomes like a crazy like chase movie at a certain point it gets very surreal because uh, there's like a mystical element it's but it's all in all it's like this just crazy cartoony comedy uh i'm a big fan of it but it's definitely like it goes it's definitely like jumps the shark it like goes like really far so i don't know go in with a very open mind uh and It'll just keep on getting opened. Is this also available on YouTube? Go in. No, I don't. I think it was actually on Hulu, oddly enough. Okay. I'm sure you can find it maybe on YouTube. So, like, let's keep pushing that. I don't know. YouTube is not what it used to be. Where You're talking about jumping every... the shark. Mm-hmm. YouTube era was right when they lifted the, like, 10-minute cap. And everyone just uploaded a bunch of like complete albums, like all these vinyl rips, just like flooded YouTube. Oh, yeah, that's how I got into so much music, and how I like basically watched a bunch of Criterion Channel movies before I knew what the Criterion Collection was. I feel like because it was just like loading it with any like strange movie. I think I saw like Blue Velvet on there, but you had to like watch them all in like parts, like ten yeah. ten minutes of Blue Velvet <laughs> at a time. Bring back Wild West YouTube. As uh, as David Lynch intended. <laughs> Ten minute intervals. <laughs> uh, all right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be talking about uh, everybody's favorite egg, Angel's Egg, after this. of Cinematary. In this part, we're going to be continuing, or actually concluding, our Young Critics Watch Old Movies series with 1985's Angel's Egg. Okay. The film is written and directed by Mamuro uh, Oshi, and the film star is Jinpachi Nezu and uh, Mako Hayoda. Uh, Hayoda. 
Um, Angel's Egg follows the life of an unnamed young girl living alone in an undefined building near an abandoned city. She cares for a large egg, which she hides under her dress, protecting it while scavenging the decrepit neo-gothic Art Nouveau cityscape for food, water, and bottles. (laughs) Scavenging for food, water, and bottles. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I love this brief plot synopsis. It's a fairly straightforward movie. That's all it is. Yeah, let's just end the podcast there. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. It's very straightforward. Yeah, you just big spoilers that you gave. God damn it. Um, Prior to the production on Angel's Egg, Oshi lost his faith in Christianity. Senses of cinema opined that the film, quote, seems informed by the existential desperation caused by the collapse of one's belief system. Oshi himself has stated he does not know what the film is about. The film repurposes ideas that Oshi developed for a canceled loop in the third film, which later became Legend of the Gold of Babylon. Both concepts focus on a mysterious girl, while the angel's egg is based on the canceled film's angel fossil. Uh, in an interview... Oh, but it, it never happened, though, right? I can't imagine a loop in the third movie occurring within the universe of this movie. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, and picking up where we left off. Just him like going... <laughs> Like around like in this world, um, an interview at the Toronto International Film Festival about the movie Oshi said, "I have a feeling that I'm creating a story which, if left alone, is gradually absorbed into classics. The image of the movie was that of something pure coming out of an actually much more suspicious world filled with dubious nothings. Gradually, it was purified into an art film. I didn't think it would become a purified world, but what we what had." been done so far strangely 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 enough has the face of a classic while making this film i ended up thinking i was forging a classic he went on to say i think the film i think film is a genre which has a certain shadiness even though everything about movies is made through artificial means they show an artsy appearance in some respects when trying well yeah when trying to attach something to this particular movie i think i ended up as expected giving it the appearance of a classic work that is why besides the girl having all the characteristics of the image of little girls was also drawn uh, emanating a strange intensity while carrying the egg Angel's Egg did not do well with critics on its release, and Oshi stated that, quote, it kept him from getting work for years. However, it was it is considered, quote, one of the highlights of artistic anime in his career as a director. They were just, uh, he's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I was making a classic. I, like, decided to make a classic. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Because, I mean, he did, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's like Kubrick or something. So, uh... I think I'll just decide to use some some elements that will make it a classic today. He was like, I know what I'm, I know what I'm dishing, you know? Um, Even though I don't know what it's about. So, uh, Angel's Egg, had you all seen this before? I had. Yeah, girl. Okay, so, uh, what, uh... Yeah, I slept, I, uh, I slept a lot to it, I feel like. It would be a good I, sleepy uh, movie. It would. Yeah, I uh, thrive in these sort of just like dark, meandering cities and with rain in them movies for sure. Uh, and I would just like have it on and I would relax. And I, I don't know, I just like instantly took to this one. It was everything I could ask for, I feel like. Um, but only more recently, I mean, this was the most intensive viewing I ever had of it. Um, 
of just like actually like really being engaged and not splitting it up at all and like watching it all the way through at like 5 p.m. today uh was a fucking amazing experience actually um what so how many times michael had you seen this this is my second what were your uh impressions the first time kind of just taking this in well the first time i was drawn to it this is a few years ago um because i looked at the cover like the poster and i was like that looks like the cover of a final fantasy game and it turns out that the art like one of the big artists in this film um Yoshitaka Amano, whose name I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, but he does a lot of the artwork for Final Fantasy games. Um, and so I thought that was cool. I kind of came into this like with a video game mindset. And I think that the film has like a quality that a lot of video games in subsequent years would come to have, like exploring kind of desolate architecture um in these really like you know lonely cavernous spaces you know um like if andrew were on this podcast he'd be talking about dark souls um which i think is like you know definitely a reference point um that you could make but like i don't know there's just like there's something very like video gamey about the way that it's all like just exploration um and so like the first time i was watching this movie i was thinking about it through that lens because i um, had that association. And this time I was maybe less thinking about that and I was more like intrigued by what I ended up thinking the first time, which is that, well, now that I've watched this and seen it through a video game lens, it actually feels like a Tarkovsky-style video game where there's like these like long stretches of like space in the movie um, and hanging over all these religious themes um, or like religious portents. Um, including like a cryptic final shot, you know, that could have been in uh, Nostalgia or Mirror or something like that. Um, and uh, so like this next time I was more paying attention to that. Um, and I thought that was super interesting as well. It's like a sort of movie, I guess because he, uh, I guess because Oshi says he doesn't know what it's about, that it feels like there's all these little tantalizing things that you can kind of choose to pay attention to in the movie if you want. But none of them are things that when you pay attention to them, it becomes the whole movie, you know? Um, like, if you watch a movie like, I don't know, to name another religious movie, like Mother, like Aaron, the Aronofsky Mother movie, like, once you get into your head, like, oh, this is like a retelling of the Bible through a particular lens, like, that's what the movie becomes. And that, that like, interpretation takes over the whole thing. Um, and that's cool. But what I was noticing this time is that the movie gives so much space and so much of the movie is just slow and taken up by watching like little small uh, animated characters walking through these like huge um, like rooms. There's something about that approach that makes it hard to say like, this is what the movie is about. And so it kind of, at least for me, these two times I've had two very different viewpoints coming out of the movie and neither of them feels definitive they just feel like an experience that i had yeah i think it's very easy to say that about a lot of i mean he said it in his interview arty movies which you know i i hesitate to j just throw that on this um but i do think it's one of those where it's just like every time you watch it whatever baggage you're bringing whatever 
particular variable that you wind up sort of honing in on is like sort of what what you'll get at the end when you get sort of cashed out um and it'll be something new every time i feel like there's a lot in here uh it but then again it doesn't feel it feels dense but not like a book it feels more uh like you're just staring at a, at a canyon like there's a lot to see out here but it's all there it's all and, it, and it's all like announcing itself and a lot of it i i think it has a reputation as like you know wtf like the whole thing is super opaque um but i don't think it's necessarily like like the dialogue is you could compare it to like lynchian dialogue or something where they are just saying sort of just like these phrases they aren't necessarily real conversations that just like they're like who are you why did you come here oh i i can't tell you about the egg i couldn't i couldn't tell you about that (laughs) all these sort of just like statements and things but at the same time again similar to lynch there is like a real earnest emotion behind a lot of it it seems like it really does want to communicate. It's just, it's just doing things in a different way, um, and doing things maybe in a more uh, free way rather than having, I don't know. He he, it feels like uh, someone making something with a blindfold on mentally, sort of just like going into it and allowing things to come out. Uh, it feels very like a mystical exercise in that way. And I really appreciate it for that. It it seems it very much, you know, um, he mentioned, you know, he talked a little bit about film as a genre. I think more film as an art form. It feels very much like a movie, you know, like it's using cinematic language really well because you're thinking if this was like a short story or something like a, like a essay in a book or something, you could make it happen, but it would be, you would just have all this, you would have to like describe this, this kind of dystopian city. You would have to describe her and what she's doing. Everything would have to like have this vivid description and writing. And I think what's interesting about this is it, is it, lets you kind of float around in this world without really giving you any context to what happened why is she here why is she carrying an egg like it's more it's more just kind of letting the visuals suck you in and and and, um it's you know it's one of those movies that i think people who are like those like crazy story people who are like there has to be a story would just get infuriated with within five minutes but i think if you just kind of ride the wave of how the visuals are kind of guiding you along it's it's a kind of a very it's a very fascinating watch in that sense yeah i think it that said like there is I there agree. is a story it's just that yeah. the story doesn't it's and not the story is fairly straightforward it's not explicit but, you know and it's not like trying it's not you know i think the there's story a's is getting to b and like yeah i think the story is like but i think the story is more expressed through the visuals rather than like there's no exposition I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I think also like like a David Lynch movie, like there is the story in the sense that you can track what happens visually, like with the characters, but then you're left wondering like why did I watch this series of images? Like I can tell that like this thing happened and then this thing happened, but like the larger significance of like what the story is there for is I think the more opaque part. And I'm 
I don't know. Like, it's kind of interestingly cryptic in that way. And in because in like some like experimental or like art films, it's hard to tell what is going on because it is like you know nonlinearly constructed or it's just really uh, you know confusing what's happening. And I don't feel like that's the case for this one. But it's also one of these things where you see the story and just kind of lays it down, and you're like, okay, it's almost like like myth in a way where you're presented with this kind of like odd thing. And it feels like one of those like myths where you read it and it's like, okay, I understood that the turtle found dirt at the bottom of the lake. And then when he brought it up at the top of the lake, it became the earth. But why? Like, you know, um, and this movie works the same way where it's like, I understand that this girl had the egg and that the guy then destroys the egg. I've been spoilers, but, um, whatever. Um, and then the girl, like, you know, things happen. Like, I understand, I can summarize the things that happen, but the why is the weird part. It's what we're left to do as an audience, where we are now sort of uh, here to t- pick up the pieces and build something with it a bit. Um, and just to sort of see what we can do with a lot of it. I mean, yeah, I agree. A lot of stuff does happen. I tried to track it. Like, I made notes this time. Like, it's so, like... Just, like, bullet points, like, lots happens. Uh, like, there's a lot of, like, and a lot of continuation of, uh, like, motifs and items come back up. Like, the big thing is the is water, and, like, she's got, she's got a jug, and, like, she's carrying it from one place to another and filling it up, and then she gets another jug, and then, like, we figure out that there's a shop that's full of jugs, and she gets another jug, but there's red juice in that jug, and she got to pour that out to put blue juice in it, and, like all that kind of stuff, which is just even in a little thing like that is just like, that's basic, like going here to there and, uh, item getting an item and making a into B, but there, uh, it's really left to us to do some math there and be creative with what we're given, which is kind of the thing about like, quote unquote, story people is like, you, I don't know that that's really is, not what people are not looking for stories and plot necessarily like they say they are i mean quite often it is just they want some sort of like particular satisfaction or comfort well it's it's one for thing for a piece to give them yeah and it's one thing to be like i i, I get it sometimes you know you're you are um, entertained by like where the script leads you in 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 uh, dialogue and things like that absolutely like, I, I have movies like that as well but yeah he was his brother the whole time yeah but i think thing, the, you know, the thing that sure. frustrates me and not to you know again like everybody can watch movies how they want but i think there's a little bit of a limited view when you're just you know like this would be a movie i feel like would infuriate modern audiences just because there seems to be this like incredible desire to like everything has to match up and make sense like if she's going to be there at the beginning it has to align at the end it can't you know it's 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 you know it's the it's whether it's the puzzle box mentality whether it's the uh you know a must meet b mentality and i think that that's to me at least and this is strictly with movies like it's a disservice to movies to put that label on it because at the end of the day movies are a visual medium and it should be telling the stories visually with less words like the words are are less important in a movie than they would be in a play than they would be in a in a 
in a book, what have you. Like it's just less important. Even in TV, t- uh, dialogue is much more important in TV. But with movies, you need to guide. You, like the best movies guide people visually and um, challenge the, these ideas visually. And I think this would would be a movie if you know for people watching today would really struggle with because. Like you said, Seth, it doesn't give you answers necessarily in the end. It's very, it kind of just leaves it open-ended, leaves it ambiguous. It doesn't really provide any backstory to what this all is. And you're left to kind of interpret it as you will. And I, I, I just feel like there's a large swath of the of audiences today who don't want that. They want like a full, like they want a whole rundown of what everything means. I was looking on on YouTube when I watched the movie, and there's like there's so many angels egg ending explained or angels egg you know breakdown theories. Yeah, and an age of and like theories and that's and fine. But like at the end of the day, like I I guess my overall rant is like embrace the ambiguity a little bit more and just focus on you know your experience of watching it i think people should embrace the ambiguity too but i will say that like this movie feels like the kind of movie that like puzzle box like youtube explainer videos were made for because it like it has such tantalizing threads that like kind of demand they seem to demand explanation like for example the whole like recurring motif about the bird like uh you know with the egg like there's this whole kind of like context in which like the the Noah's Ark story from the Bible has become kind of a legend uh, that's taken on its own life like outside of the context of the Bible or if there ever was a Bible in this universe I don't know but like right, it's changed it's changed right because like the the Ark never finds land and the dove never returns to the 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 boat right and then that like becomes like the bird skeleton in a way like i don't know there's things about this movie that all like i'm not saying that this is the best way to approach the movie but it is a movie in which like it tickles your brain with these like potential like mind you know quote unquote like mind-blowing things you know and there's the final shot where it zooms out and like is that meant to be like the arc i'm not exactly sure what's going on with that final shot but like I think that there's like there's there's a closed circuit element to this. Like some mysterious movies feel like completely open, like they're just pulling in wild, um, like wild experimental elements. But this movie, everything is recursive in and on itself, and I think that that like makes a temptation to try to explain it because everything seems to be interconnected in this kind of interesting way, um, and. I like the idea of a movie that's like that that can't be explained, which I think is maybe like something that this movie is gesturing toward. But I can also understand like why someone would see this movie and be like, I got to make a 30 minute YouTube video explaining all the symbolism or whatever. I think you're saying it better than I than I was able to, which is is that aspect of it. It doesn't feel like what the fuck random like a lot of like like experimental film and like difficult art kind of has that stigma um and quite often wrongfully so and especially in instances like angel egg is a good example of that that i think things while they may not even be totally um knowable by its author there are there are like there are sentences there maybe the sentences don't complete but uh, there's threads for us to like pull on and a lot to think about. And yeah, I, yeah, like, like any good piece of art, I feel like 
uh, for 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 an hour I could talk about it in in one way and then it flips on its head and I start talking about it in the opposite way because it does it does a lot where yeah I want to I I there's one way of watching it where you just feel it and then there's another way of watching it where you can just go on and on there's it's very rich um like it reminds me of like a Thomas Pynchon book or something like that in that the the trick with Thomas Pynchon is like you're immediately like overwhelmed like something like Gravity's Rainbow that like and it's it's purposefully made like in a way that is just like n- nobody gets everything that's going on here there's too much there's purposefully too much but the flip side is that like you can go in and just sort of like get into the rhythm of of how it feels to be in this world and like you sort of you you pick it up and you figure it out and then you lose it again and you pick it up and you figure it out and you lose it again um and then there's the other way of reading it which is like if you wanted to take every sentence and like look up what every little like reference to history is you could find a lot um there which in that way it's like that's that's the fingerprint of a good author i think uh a good artist uh that these things that we are left with we can we can do a lot with and in different ways yeah i think like one of the things that's cool about this movie and it is the way it uses like it's uh post-apocalyptic whatever we want to call the world that it is but a world in which like the context of like how we got here has been lost not just to ourselves like not just us the viewer because we've been uninformed but to the characters who are living in this too like the characters are living in a world in which whatever created the certain circumstances that uh resulted in the world that they see around them they don't they themselves don't 100 percent understand um and so they're left to kind of mythologize their own existence within this emptiness uh and ruin and I think that that's really interesting and is also maybe something that also appeals to the like uh the 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 gaming legacy of this as well like again if andrew are on here he could talk about dark souls but one of the like one of the kind of compelling things about dark souls is the way in which you are presented with the world and a lot of the details are kind of opaque and it's hard to tell like why the things exist in this way in the world and so you have to make inferences and kind of mythologize the 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 environments in the world and this by having its characters this movie having its characters do that same thing that we the audience are doing you know we're we're like invited into the space that these characters inhabit because they are having to tell stories about how they exist. You know, they tell the story of Noah's Ark or their own version of Noah's Ark. Um, And we as viewers have to look at this and tell stories about what is going on here, whether that's like, you know, just kind of like fabulous, um, you know, kind of like allowing this thing to be an aesthetic object that's overwhelming or like kind of burrowing down into, um, okay, well, this is actually a story about, lost faith and like all that sort of stuff like there is an element of this invites us to uh 
make narrative out of something that we don't quite have complete access to, um, which I think is like a Pynchon thing as well. Like a big thing in Thomas Pynchon is this like propensity of characters to, um, to find threads among like really disparate things and kind of become like obsessed in a conspiracy that may or may not exist. Like that definitely happens in Gravity's Rainbow where the human brain wants to see patterns and create narrative out of like just the chaos of what a, like a world is and you're born into the world um knowing nothing about the world and as you experience this huge world that has like a context that is so far out of your ability to understand it completely you have to uh storytell in order to have a meaningful existence within it um and i think it's cool how this movie's doing that that's how reality works like that's the thing about experimental media that it's like it get, it's easy to call it far out and like opaque but like that's it, it it rings true to me when i get in there and maybe that's also what deters people like i get it like maybe that's really what feels like homework is like i do this all day where like i have to like be at a party and pretend i know what people are talking about right in order to just like exist um sometimes or like just pretend like i know how politics works or my car works and stuff like that but i like have to just go through my day i have to continue and in the same way like when you're watching an experimental movie or reading an experimental book a lot of the times you like come up against these walls and you like the choice is to like throw the thing at the wall or like continue through and just to sort of like almost bullshit through sometimes in order to get to various rewards, um, I don't know, and also just to move forward, um, I think it's a it's a decent lesson to learn sometimes. Have you guys ever watched um, Neon Genesis Evangelion? See, I've never gotten to the carrot at the end. Uh, yeah, that that's kind of the opposite thing, where it presents you with a conventional narrative and then eventually pulls the rug out, and you're just swimming in just surreal like bizarre stuff um but i do feel like that the way that this movie is is a direct influence on that like there's no way like it does the same thing where it just is throwing in this kind of like warped uh imagery from like the like you know judeo-christian tradition um but in a way that is decontextualized and defamiliarized um but yeah anyway that's a I don't know. I think that's a completely different way to do it, though, because of the way that it it it, it lures you in with convention. You know, we're gonna watch big like mech and kaiju battles, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, surprise! This is like to the end of two thousand one, a space odyssey. All of a sudden, oops. Yeah. Well, if you want a very coherent explanation of what happens in that movie i think it was episode 200 and andrew's drunk and explaining it to everybody oh my gosh (laughs) i didn't get no problem easy no problem (laughs) just like zach at the beginning of the podcast just like totally explaining angel's egg and then like why are we still talking about it like that's the end of it it's true i just try to ruin it um it was this one was interesting it was interesting so this was my first time watching it um and like, uh, I don't know. I, I I don't really have too much of like concrete thoughts to to establish to it. I mean, I think 
I don't real I didn't really come in, Michael. You were talking about at the beginning that you can't kind of came in with this mindset of viewing it through the lens of like a video game. I really didn't know what I was getting into. I just kind of watched it and let it kind of you know wash over me. And so, I I like I say this not like I'm gonna ignore it forever, but I didn't get much from it this time because I didn't really know you know it, like I was just trying to kind of get my bearings to a degree but it's definitely one that i'll i'll come back to and kind of look at it through the lens of one i know what's going on this time and trying to kind of better um better prepare myself to kind of be on the wavelength of the movies movies uh going with but also it's just the nice thing also is it's such a short movie it's such a short uh film that it kind of gives you that opportunity to watch it um have repeat watches without like just you know investing a lot of time i mean it's about the same amount of time as like an episode of game of thrones yeah (laughs) so it real yeah um, it definitely rewards repeat viewing i get why somebody might not want to but i'm glad you brought up that it's short because that is like definitely something (laughs) that's a fine critique of experimental media that quite often it's just like you're already giving me like 10 times more than just a regular movie okay like or a regular like band that is like throwing free jazz at you it's just like you guys could just play a 20 minute set and it would just like totally blow my mind and i would go home and think about it for a while like i praise experimental art that can be uh brief (laughs) and merciful and that's the thing and that's the thing that like yeah it's not like a two and a half hour like bunker down no it's like an hour it's literally like an hour 10 minutes if that um yeah i mean it's about it's about the same as watching an episode of game of thrones or any sort of tv of that ilk that is you know about a a little over an hour um and that this one doesn't have like you know unnecessarily graphic scenes for no reason so um no it's it's definitely one that i'm excited i think i'll i'll appreciate or have more to say on repeat viewings but it was tough to like really nail down how i felt about it after just the one viewing this time one thing that I actually did not realize the first time I watched this movie, um, that's more of like a meta thing, but um, I did not like connect the name uh, Mamoru Oshii to his later movies, which are arguably more famous, like Ghosts in the Shell. Um, yeah, this is the same director as Ghosts in the Shell. And I did not, that didn't occur to me until I looked this guy up. I was like, hey, you know, I'm watching this movie for the second time. What else has he done? And I was like, Ghost in the Shell, what the heck? Um, he did it before this? No, no, no. This is like seven or eight years after, I believe. Oh, okay. So he was fine. He was yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, also brief movie. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but this feels, this feels so different from Ghost in the Shell. Whereas like Ghost in the Shell is kind of like really dense and like, there's a ton of information um and you like you have to like understand all these like sci-fi like philosophical concepts this kind of achieves its effect by being so uh like it's just so wide open and spacious and i i don't know it's just interesting to compare the two in my head because i it hadn't occurred to me at all that there was an overlap between these two movies and they have the same director well you keep on uh you keep on talking about video games and uh I like, I, I I have to keep reminding myself of, like how it felt to watch this movie if like the first time I saw it, which was just me still having, 
only a little grasp of anime in general um and it already being this like uh, like so it has like a sort of like a like two layers of strangeness like well a bunch of layers of strangeness but like for for a first time viewer it's like not only is it an experimental film but it's an experimental animated film which already is like this thing that like cartoons you know even now is like still like the stigma is cartoons are for kids or something and like the stigma of anime is like while it's becoming more like pervasive and stuff like anime is like sort of more or less for most viewers in the realm of television and easy consumption and like boom boom like naruto like uh fast moving plots and a lot of fight scenes so it's very interesting to happen upon angel's egg that is just like an anime episode again like zach said is like an uh, basically an episode length or something but it's been blown up like something happened and like we're missing pieces to the episode uh it's uh it's very strange, and the only I don't know I I, I I'm sh- I'm sure there's a list somewhere, but like there's I don't know if I've ever encountered an anime that's even close to becoming this like experimental and like like just slow cinema. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a very interest. It's very interesting to see the medium do this. I think like not even anime specifically, but just like animated films in general, like. There are so few animated films that feel like this, you know, because animated films are so genre and convention beholden usually. Like, even, like, when you get into... They can't take their time. Yeah, like, even... But even when you get into, like, kind of, like, the edgier, like, artier animation, a lot of times they have conventions that they draw on, you know, like, you know, oh, we're the edgy adult animation, or we're, um, you know, Disney animation, or, or we're trying to be something that's kind of like... A Miyazaki film or something like that um, but there's like so few of them that are like this but I'm surprised that there's not more because of I would imagine having these huge backgrounds that you don't have to animate and then just small characters that you animate in them oftentimes on repeated animation like that fire scene like I imagine that was like fairly easy to in the context of making an animated film like fairly easy to do you're repeating a few frames uh, for a long time but very few films are doing this kind of like slow, deliberate pace. Um, even when you get into the more experimental animation, and I, I just think it's curious that no one's, to my knowledge, done a lot like that. Oh, totally. Yeah. And um, yeah, it does seem like uh, even even Brackage or something is about moving fast, fast moving like rapid fire images and things like that even though he's like maybe the you know the cusp of animated film or whatever you want to call what he does um but uh slowing it down is very interesting and also like that's when like you said evangelion is where things get strange is when i I, like from what i've heard is like when they just start like they run out of money and they can't afford to like make giant mechs move around the screen a bunch of times so they start like just like using stills and like <laughs> yeah evangelion's kind of like also the fast because they're not like animating things for very long scenes and so it's all like kind of like super cutting all these different like fragments that they have um but yeah i don't know like more like slow cinema slow animated cinema let's let's get that yes, going please. yeah absolutely 
I was also going to, and j just, I feel like we've been dancing around it, but if we, like, it, you know, it's a kind of anti-theory, but if we're, what kind of, like, I don't even know which part of it to dive into, but, like, maybe even just, like, the last scene, like, is it, like, a, a, a like a Mobius strip kind of thing, where she's, like, so the beginning is, like, him... Like, the guy with the weird gun sword, and he's, like, looking at the huge ship that is, like, maybe, like, Noah's Ark or something, but it's, like, a ship coming down, and she's on it? She, like, comes out of it, and then at the end, she's, like, a stone statue on the ship. I'm just, like... Is it, like... I don't want to get, like, too explainy, because it's... A movie that defies it but like I already, yeah. there's all the like imagery like all the religious imagery and i have to imagine like it's called angel's egg right and uh -huh. she's the one who has the egg so is she like some sort of like celestial being or like maybe representative of the celestial being because she comes down out of the sky right like and then at the end of the movie she like goes back up like as a statue into the sky or something i don't know there's something like vaguely sinister about it though too um, yeah, like when yeah, the sinister part comes for me when she's like kind of optimistically talking about how she has an egg and she's explaining a little bit about like how there's a bird and like it's a good bird or something. I forget what she says, but that's when they show like the fossilized, like terrifying like, looking, like beast. Archaeopteryx angel creature that's in a in stone, and then. The guy is like looking at it and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you think that's a good thing or something. But it, it seems like that's, I forget what they say, but it seems like that's where there's like sort of a split between her optimism about whatever an angel is and then like sort of this like horrible reality of what like an angel is um, or like what an angel isn't. Like, the fact that it, maybe it's just a fucking animal, like, and it's gross looking. I don't even know. Yeah. Did you guys watch, um, Seth, I know you don't watch TV, but, uh, Midnight Mass? No. Well, there's, like, it's not important to get into what it is, but there's, like, something that's kind of parallel to that where someone finds this, like, demonic-looking creature that they're convinced is an angel, and this demonic-looking creature just, like, wreaks total havoc, um... And, and does awful things, but the, the like, this, like, very devout person is convinced that it is, like, a celestial being, um, and I wonder if there's something like that going on, I mean, if you're, like, in the Bible, like, angels are supposed to be, like, super scary and terrifying, um, or at least, like, otherworldly, and so they're scary because of that reason, and I kind of wonder, like, in the context of, um, Oshi having, like, lost his Christian faith, if, like, I mean, the thing that is supposed to be beautiful about, like, divine beings is the, your kind of, like, faith in the goodness of them, right? Like, and the fact that they're so powerful and awe-inspiring and, like, ineffable, that's, like, a good thing if you believe that that is, like, a benevolent thing. But once you stop believing that's a benevolent thing, it's, like, a really disturbing idea that there are these, like, you know, all powerful beings like capable of doing all sorts of things within our natural, like within the world, you know, capable of upending the rules of reality. And uh, it becomes kind of like a threatening thing, maybe, if you no longer have faith in that sort of system. Um, 
and maybe that's kind of like what's going on here um i don't know yeah yeah removing the blindfold a little bit um any any last thoughts on angel's egg before we wrap up um it's dope yeah it's also on youtube in a fairly good quality yeah too if you click on the second hit uh i would also (laughs) say if people are into this i'm even prepared i have it right here um it's called dahlgren by samuel r delaney um it is meaning to read this for you it's my favorite book um and it's it's like like angel's egg it's very easy to say that it's a sci-fi or something but it's this sprawling like experimental sort of book and it's it i was really surprised um watching the movie because i just started rereading it um and i started like making a list on letterboxd of movies that are like dahlgren is one of those that is just like it seems like it's impossible to make a an adaptation of because it's so strange and experimental but uh i started making movies of like maybe like these are movies that like if you pulled them all together that's what dahlgren would look like um but it's about a mysterious like dilapidated city like a post-apocalyptic city that the main character wanders through and it's all about is similarly like has the themes of forgetfulness like a lot of like a lot of it is about that he can't remember who he was before he came into the city he can't remember his name a lot of the people in the city it's like it's like a refuge for just people who just can't remember things the streets change uh, but it all has this sort of like similar to angel's egg this like beauty in ruin and there's a lot of like surreal imagery similar to angel's egg in that way that there's like finding like divine beauty that is also maybe like if you turn it another way is like really gruesome um but yeah i don't know that is in the vein and yeah i love angel's egg i'm so glad i could be on the podcast about it because i've realized it does it does mean a lot after this viewing i it kind of shot up in my on my favorite my list of favorites i would say um well, like we said, you can find Angel's Egg on YouTube, good quality, with uh, English subs, so check it out there, and it's, as we've mentioned, it's not that long. Um, Alright, well, I'll wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary, and on Twitter and Instagram at, at cinematary, uh, and c- catch up with all the movies that we talked about in this episode at Letterboxd, at letterboxd.com slash cinematary. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram as we head off the TIFF uh, next week. We'll be having updates on movies we saw and reactions and such there from uh, myself, Reed, and Andrew. So if you've not followed us on those two platforms, do so now. Uh, if you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cinematary. You can do it, you know, whether it's $1, $5, what have you. Uh, we'll take whatever if you're a fan and would like to just support the work that we're doing here with the podcast. Thank you to our patrons, Cam, Chad Newsom, Corey Willingham, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Teresa Marsathi, uh, Titus Arthur, and Tyler Chandler. Thank you so much for your patronage. Next week, we're going to be kicking off our new series. We're going to be taking a look at concert films. Um, real short series uh, we're going to be doing the first week we'll have jazz on a summer's day which uh, I think we kind of decided is one of the if not the earliest but at least one of the earlier concert films um, we're going to follow that up with Woodstock 
then Stop Making Sense, which naturally had to be on there. And then we're going to be doing a double feature of Fade to Black uh, by Jay-Z and Homecoming by Beyonce. So uh, check it out. Those are going to be the next four weeks. And then we're going to be jumping into an October horror series for October. Um, but we're still trying to kind of figure that one out. So concert movies and then October horror coming from Cinematary. So keep us on the dial. Um, until next week. Thank you all for listening.